Dr. Fauci said earlier this week that the lag in testing was, in fact, a failing. Do you take responsibility for that? And when can you guarantee that every single American who needs a test will be able to have a test? What's the date of that? Yeah, no, I don't take responsibility at all. Welcome to episode 29 of How We Win. All over the country, ordinary people are doing extraordinary things, and we're giving you the tools that you need to jump in and make a difference right now. The best antidote to anxiety is action. (laughs) Yeah, and we all have a lot of anxiety right now. On today's episode, we're dealing with new challenges during the coronavirus pandemic. So we're going to talk about what organizing and communicating look like as we stay home to flatten the curve. We are joined by Dr. Karen North, an expert in social media and psychology and a clinical professor at the Annenberg School of Communication at USC. Then we're going to hear from Swing Left's National Field Director, Marisa Kanoff, about how we are continuing to organize and stay connected with volunteers and voters. I'm Steve Pearson. And I'm Mariah Craven. And this is How We Win. Sorry, I messed it up. (laughs) 29 episodes. (laughs) Let's just, like, huh? Let's just leave that one there. No. What are we doing again? <laughs> <laughs> I'm so confused today. Question for you. Okay. Do you think Trump really took this test? test that he claims to have taken but can only give very vague descriptions about? I'll bet you they gave him the test. What the results are, if we really know the results, I don't know. But um, it's interesting. I got a text from my cousin Dave in Oklahoma, who is most certainly, hey Dave, he's most certainly going to listen to this. And um, rather than respond to his text, maybe I'll just (laughs) talk about it here. But, you know, he was wondering um, why we have spent so much time looking at the failings of uh, Trump and his administration and dealing with this crisis and not just moving forward. And there's some key reasons why it's important to look at at what's happened uh, and Trump's actions here. And it's not just to score political points. It's not just to be partisan. Mm-hmm. Um, but last week we talked about, first of all, how the CDC wanted to put out guidance that anyone over the age of 65 should not fly commercial airplanes. Mm-hmm. And that that uh, directly affects my uh, parents and many right. other people's parents and grandparents uh, across the country. Trump blocked that. He didn't want people to follow that life-saving and important direction. Mm-hmm. Prior to that, there was a news report that recently came out that the Trump administration blocked testing early on because they didn't want to see elevated numbers. They wanted to keep the appearance that we didn't have a lot of cases confirmed here in the U.S. So that early testing that would have been so crucial was actually blocked for political reasons by Donald Trump. If that's true, that should be prosecuted. Yeah. These are criminal acts. And there, this is not going to go away. We are going to, um, at some point in our history, uh, be able to really dissect how this uh, this was handled. It's, I'm understating everything. You know, it's hard to— you, I think we're all trying to be so careful right now. And um, what our country is going through ha- hasn't happened in our lifetimes before. 
Um, and so I think we are attempting to like stay calm, carry on, just right. wash your hands, wash your hands, listen right. to the government. But uh, it is worth pointing out that we we have an administration that people don't trust. They underreact to things for good reason. The administration has a deep distrust of the government workers that we're relying on to execute and guide us. And if you listen to the press conference on Monday where, you know, the the one where he's saying, well, Trump was very vague about what the test looked like, you know, I don't really care if he took it, to be quite honest. What struck me about that was how the professionals, the, the healthcare professionals were sort of Using this language about like what a great job the president was doing, oh, and yeah. you know, in in his in his wisdom, he he had you know advised or he decided that there should be more tests distributed. They're being so careful with their language to keep him happy and from getting upset, and we don't need them focused on making Trump feel good right now. Keeping this big baby from throwing a exactly, a fit. you know, exactly. it's it's uh, yeah, it's. It's awful, and I can't think of anyone worse to um, to be leading us through this global pandemic. And um, so that's really scary. And the hit- good news, though, is that state governments have really stepped up. And I think some of them initially said, "Yo, Trump administration people, what are we supposed to do?" And they, when they didn't get an- adequate answers. They, they took made, it on themselves. They made their own moves, and so a lot a lot of states do have guidance. At the local level. And we did talk about that a little bit last week and um, double downing on that now. If you're looking for information, look to your local mayors and governors. We've certainly gotten a lot of information. It's evolving by the hour here in Los Angeles where we're recording and everywhere across the country. We know that the next 14 days, the next couple of weeks are going to be really important, um, that we stay home, that we limit our interactions with people, you know, businesses are closing down and um, it's it's been tough to wrap my head around it. I don't know, what's, what's your last week been like just personally? What have you been doing? I work from home anyway. And <laughs> so this wasn't particularly disruptive to me until in Los Angeles County, they closed the gyms this week and asked people right. not to go to the gym and that was the most jarring moment for me because that's what was get that at that point that was what was getting me out of the house on a regular basis we've also had um restaurants and things um shut down as well here they are doing right. takeout and we're trying to do our part to continue to support local businesses by continuing to buy things um, that can be delivered or picked up by not asking for refunds for things that that we aren't able to utilize at this point. Mm. Um, because I think the big worry now, you know, once we get everybody, once we get more testing and and make sure, you know, making sure that medical facilities can handle the coming influx is, of course, people's economics. Oh, yeah. You know, I'll just say I know people like us are – are confused. They're scared. Um, looks like we're heading for a recession as as a result of this. That's what most economic experts are saying. It's hard to ignore the stock market, whether you have stock or not. It's um, it's a frightening time. And um, um, I think the most important thing that I want to say to people is, um, you know, take take the minute, take some time, be with your families. I mean, you know, 
you don't really have a choice. You have to be with your families, like it or not. <laughs> um, it was hard for me to wrap my head around the reality of this. It's been really hard for my daughter to wrap her head around it. Thursday, they closed her schools. Mm-hmm. She had been working really hard on Footloose, the musical that she was in. Thursday mm-hmm. night was opening night. Oh, wow. And so that was uh, postponed, and um, you know, she called me very upset about that. We've had a difficult weekend trying to um, figure out what it's going to look like, how she's going to be able to communicate and see friends. Mm -hmm. And um, online learning started today for her school. So, you know, I'll be interested to hear how that's going. But, you know, we're all trying to figure this out and uh, we need to be there for each other. So first and foremost, Look to your neighbors, look to your friends and family, and um, and see where you can pitch in with your community. Yeah, I'm so disappointed for Lucy that that the Footloose production didn't go on. But um, I think I was telling you earlier this week one cool thing that I've seen on Twitter is um, and young Instagram is young people posting their performances yeah. that got can't like posting all the things that they've been practicing for. I've also seen teachers, especially art teachers, doing little videos on, you know, how to draw or paint or or something. So it's been really cool how people are creating this content that we can all engage with each other around to kind of brighten brighten your day or yeah. give you something to do. There, there's uh amazing community building content that's being created out there. Absolutely. And another shiny reason for hope, Amy Adams is finally on social media. She started up an Instagram account because her and Jennifer Gardner and some other celebrities are going to be posting videos of themselves reading children's books for kids who are um, stuck at home. So, Oh, fun. Yeah. That's really cute. So follow Amy Adams on Instagram now, everybody. Yay. I don't know if you're an Amy Adams fan, but she hasn't been on social media. Billy Eichner made a big deal of that <laughs> Billy, on Billy in the Street. <laughs> oh, you know, Billy always keeps a perspective on, on what's important. So yeah, yeah. I appreciate that. His tweets are very, very good. <laughs> um, the other big thing that's happening is the presidential primaries are continuing-ish. Right. We have we had four going on today. Ohio canceled theirs. Early this morning. Early this morning. And, um, you know, as we're recording this, we've seen some problems at polls. We've seen uh, a lack of poll ro- workers, in some cases a lack of machines, a lot of confusion. I, I think that the early vote and places where people can vote by mail – uh, that's going to be key. That's that's something that we need to really focus on moving forward too. Because I don't know, we'll see what the turnout is. Early vote turnout has been has already surpassed 2016 mm-hmm. levels. Wow! But obviously, this is a big unknown issue. Yeah, and it really is ramping up the calls for nationwide no excuse vote by mail opportunities for every eligible voter. There's really no reason not to do it at this point. And yes, right now is an emergency. And looking back, you're kind of like, oh, I wish we would have done this. But moving forward, this is uh, a surefire way to increase voter participation and engagement. I mean, we saw um, 
on the the last sort of Super Tuesday, a tornado disrupted voting in Tennessee. And so, so, you know, to put all of our eggs in the Election Day basket, it's just not going to work anymore. Yeah, and we talk a little bit about voting by mail with Marisa um, in the interview with her, but it just makes all the sense in the world. I guess unless you're a Republican senator named Mitch McConnell who wants to suppress the vote. Oh, yeah. Um, but it's it's interesting to think because traditionally, you know, vote by mail is for you should be doing it no matter what. You know, register to vote by mail. Go to vote.org. Go to your county registrar's. Make sure you're registered to vote by mail. Encourage your friends, your family members, everyone in your community to do it. It does increase participation by at least 20 percent. We see that just in normal election times. But right now, as you so well put it, there's a lot of obstacles to voting, and vote by mail will be a necessity. And traditionally, the early vote favors Democrats. But just in theory, I, I wonder what the Republicans are thinking about with this now, because um, there's no reason to block a national uh, vote by mail initiative. I mean, all the states have to adopt it themselves, of course, and, and many states do. But this has to be what we shout from the rooftops from now until November. Well, not November 3rd. It'll be too late then. But we have to be shouting this yeah. from our living rooms. I guess that's where we're shouting now. <laughs> yeah. Well, listen, Steve, we're laughing. You can get a lot done from your living room. You can phone bank. You can letter write. You can postcard. That's true. You can post on social media. There's a <laughs> lot to do. Uh, so, yes, let's talk about what you can do. We're going to talk about it more again with Marisa, but... Um, Writing letters right now, we have a lot of letters that we're banking with Vote Forward, GOTV letters that have been proven to be really effective. They're Mm -hmm. actually a really great tactic that we're using, as you know, if you listen to this podcast or if you're familiar with Swing Left, we've been using it extensively already. Mm -hmm. And um, we are now putting together toolkits for people to be able to print out and do letters by themselves at home or with their families at home. So you don't have to go to a letter-writing party and be with a bunch of people. And we encourage people to do it. It's a great thing to do. You can do it while you're listening to this podcast. You can there be writing letters, right? So go to swingleft.org slash letters. Swingleft.org slash letters. And we're going to have more uh, resources available just in the next week. We're, we're putting those up on our website so you can organize yourself at home. Organize yourself. I like it. Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of closets are going to be cleaned out. Oh, yeah. There's some projects that are going to happen. I think we need to look ahead to maternity wards from like 10 (laughs) months from now and make sure we have the capacity there. Yeah. Hashtag Corona babies. Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Uh, Also, as somebody who, like I said, I work from home regularly, just, you know, some advice. Yes, you will plan that big cleaning project. (laughs) Don't feel bad if it doesn't happen. <laughs> it's okay. To be fair, I think our kitchen <laughs> right now is less clean than it typically is. Yeah. But, Lots of snacking all day long going <laughs> right. on. Yeah. Yeah. You mentioned social media, too, and um, I'm very scared, actually, about social media and and you know, the role it's going to play. We already already knew it has an outsized influence on the electorate, on all of us. Now that we are, 
even more physically not connected to each other. I really want to know how we can be safe and effective on social media. So I'm excited to talk to uh, Dr. Karen North about that. Yeah, Dr. North will guide us in the right direction. Don't be scared, Steve. Just, um, well, don't, just don't spread any lies on social media. If everybody just didn't spread lies, we'd be in pretty good shape. That's tip number one. That's a really good not one. That, not, not that you do that. I've, I'm quick to, to repost something. You know, without, I mean, do you without, do the thing where you retweet and then read the article and then you're like, oh, wait, no, <laughs> I shouldn't have shared this. <laughs> I don't do that anymore, but uh, I, ha- I probably have in the past. But um, I think it's it's important, especially since so many titles of articles are very clickbaity right, right. Um, or deceptive. I think it's important to go ahead and read the article before yeah. you share it with other people. Good advice. <laughs> Anyway, Dr. North will, I'm sure, have some other tidbits for us. So let's talk to her. Karen North is an expert in social media and psychology and is a clinical professor in the School of Communication at USC. Dr. North, thank you for taking the time to talk to us today. Thanks for having me. We've become increasingly more isolated within our information bubbles, especially on social media, and now we're physically isolated from each other. Uh, How do we stay connected without becoming further divided? Well, I don't know if there's a good way to stop ourselves from becoming divided given the circumstances, but, you know, digital media is allowing us to connect with people Um, And, you know, and sometimes in really critical ways. So, you know, as an example, there are older people who are in assisted living facilities or even just who are home with the doors closed, Mm -hmm. you know, just being rightfully staying away from germs. And we we shouldn't we we really should not be going physically to visit those people. If they're in assisted living facilities, they're locked down. Mm. But even if they're home in their houses or apartments, we should not be taking our germs into them in this critical time. Right. But that, you know, the the amazing thing that was not here a blink of an eye ago is that we can now visit those people with, you know, FaceTime, Skype, Zoom, any any of those technologies that allow us to video conference our way into somebody's life. Mm -hmm. And it's really important to recognize that and for the younger people to recognize that they have a huge responsibility to older people or sick people or people who are stuck overseas to make sure that those people stay connected with family and friends. On the divided side, you know, unfortunately, like one of the dark sides of social media is that, you know, before we had such ubiquitous social media, people received news. We all received pretty much the same news through major newspapers, the evening network news, radio um, there were ways that we all received pretty similar news. Mm-hmm. And then we found like-minded people at home or at, I mean, at work or at school to help us turn that news into opinion. Mm-hmm. But with the, you know, sort of m- mega multiple channel situation that we have now, there's very little news that tries to be objective. Uh, news is now basically curated as opinion and most of us receive our news through our social, uh, you know, our social networks or through the social channels that we choose to follow. And our news comes to us already curated with an opinion attached. Mm-hmm. Hmm. So 
the only opportunity that some people have to get opposing views and even consider them is when they go to work or school and they are really forced to be through convenience and, you know, through job situations, people are with people who are not like-minded. Because online, we have the ability to select only like-minded experiences. So our, uh, you know, echo chambers are that much more insulated right now because people are not moving around in circles of people who uh, do not share their beliefs. I'm, I'm just curious, um, do you have any recommendations for platforms or applications that are pretty easy to use for people who are less tech-savvy but want to jump into staying connected digitally with people? I mean, nothing's going to help my dad, but for other people. (laughs) So here's the thing. Generally, I don't recommend, but I will say that for people who have iPhones, FaceTime, it couldn't be simpler. You just push the little button with the camera on it. Everybody has a system now. But the, the key is that if people are in assisted living facilities, the easiest thing to do is to call the facility and say, I want to set up you know, twice a day video conferencing and just let that person hold the phone Mm -hmm. uh, or the computer because everybody who works there should know how to do that. That's a great idea. I I don't know how they wouldn't this time, you know. But for older people living alone, so if you could do it on a phone, phones are probably easiest. And frankly, anybody older than, you know, a fairly young person has also grown up using telephones in a more, you know, traditional way. Mm -hmm. And just... Phone calls, just hearing people's voice is enough to um, to make the connection for a lot of people. So we don't really need to go high tech. Sometimes we just need to have that human connection that's more than just typed words on a page. It's great advice. One of the biggest risks that we're facing right now, um, we've always had lots of bad actors in this space, but right now is a time that's ripe for the viral spread of misinformation. Recently, fake text messages went out about a national quarantine, stuff like that. What can we do to combat that? Well, I mean, the place where I think that the government has let us down over the past few years, and, you know, not just the government, but also a lot of the channels, is that I just think that it's worth putting up the, you know, the information over and over and over again for people to beware. Because I don't think that we can stop the misinformation. I don't think the algorithms will ever be good enough because the more focused they are, the less broad they are, and the less likely that an algorithm will find them. So, you know, therefore, if you're being targeted, it may might look really convincing to you, but an algorithm may not be able to see it. I think that the government, the government officials, and I think also the leaders of the information platforms, whether it's Facebook or Twitter or, you know, any of the others, big and small, should all remind people over and over again, beware of any message, especially a message that seems completely targeted to you because it may be targeted in a way that is an attempt to manipulate your your hmm. opinions and your feelings. And I think that we just need to hear that over and over again. And I think that people will learn that. But I think that we are all assuming that things are, if they're not caught by the algorithm, then maybe they're true. And that is not a good assumption to make, especially in a time when people are, not even because of coronavirus, but because of elections, people are going out of their way to try to manipulate our feelings and our beliefs. Yeah. There are attempts being made by some of the platforms. And, you know, a week or two ago, there was a lot of press given to Twitter's 
um, new use of the tag manipulated media. Mm-hmm. And the issue was that there was a, a video of um, Biden, of Joe Biden, that was truncated. It was cut off right. so that it sounded a little bit like sort of an endorsement of Donald Trump. And so they tagged it as manipulated media, which was a great sort of stunt advertising for Twitter's announcement of their ability or their their desire to tag things that were false. Mm-hmm. But if you think about it, you know, what media is, like there are few media that are not manipulated in one way or another. So that, for example, that particular um, piece of video wasn't manipulated other than it was cut off. But right. most video is cut off at some point or another. So I'm not sure whether that would be caught other than the outcry from the Biden people. Right. So think about like jib-jab, which puts your head on an animated body that is 100% manipulated media exclusively for entertainment purposes. So if I put my head on your body or you put my head on your body and you try to make it look like I'm doing something to try to get me in trouble, that's manipulated media, but it's manipulated in the same way that jib-jab does little greeting cards. So it's hard to imagine how an algorithm would be able to catch um, manipulated media in any way other than flagged in some manner by human beings. And there aren't enough human beings in the world to care about you and me versus a larger political endeavor. So you can't count on technology solving the problem. You have to remember that when you see media, it may be manipulated. And that message is not out strongly enough. Since we're talking about Twitter, another question that I have, um, and it flummoxes me how people do this, amplifying these hashtags that are so clearly trolls or Russian actors. You've seen it a lot around the primaries. And people using, uh, for instance, the never worn hashtag, even to refute that hashtag. So they want to, they'll be saying, hey, everybody, this is clearly uh, a Russian effort. Don't buy into this hashtag. hashtag. <laughs> and then they're helping a trend because there's, they continue to use the hashtag. You know, what, what are your strategies? I mean, just like stop it, right? Stop using those hashtags. Yeah, yeah, well, so people don't get that, and I've been talking about it for years, we all have, that if you take, for example, the algorithm, again, the technology that works mechanically mm-hmm. on YouTube, um, people have not realized, or most people don't realize, that if they hit dislike, if they do a thumbs down, it adds to the algorithm promoting it. Hmm. So, you know, most social media they're not looking at just agreement. They're looking at what we call engagement. Mm. Are people engaged with this medium? You know, are they engaged with this video or this post? Do they, do they seem to be energized by it, and do they want to interact with it? And so if you say don't do hashtag and then you do the hashtag, then the algorithm just counts it as one more person right. who's engaged with it. If you do thumbs up or thumbs down, to pretend like it's a political debate. And, you know, you're really engaged in the debate and you're against this part and somebody else is for that part. You're both engaged in the debate. You might both be really enjoying the debate. So the algorithm, again, not human, sees it as engagement. And because it's engagement, it promotes it more. And it actually, the algorithm will usually um, send it to more people and promote it more strongly because it sees more people as enjoying or participating in that 
particular activity. So, you know, again, people don't get it. And why would we? Like, why nobody knows that unless you know it. But people need to know that if you don't like something, you need to not participate and possibly report it as abuse. But don't start talking about it using its own hashtag or clicking on the like or dislike button because all you're doing is helping it grow bigger. Right. That makes sense. And yes, why would anybody know how any algorithm works? They intentionally <laughs> keep that from us. So Correct. Yeah. Yeah. So um, what about um, on the on the positive side, using all of this uh, technology and thing that we have access to for developing online communities or for the folks listening who are, you know, sitting at home and they miss knocking on doors? How can they use this to connect with voters in new ways? I mean, you know, if you think about it, the real sea change with social media was that it made us feel that we had a personal connection with people, even if we didn't. Mm -hmm. And so, you know, for people who actually want to organize voters or get people involved, especially while everybody's staying at home and reaching out through digital media, because we can't be reaching out in, you know, in the sort of physical world, you know, remember that it's the people who you're connected with in your life that may actually probably actually share a lot of your opinions and your view, your worldviews. Mm. Because, you know, if you look at all the research on human connectedness over the past many, many, many decades, people are attracted to people who are similar and who've had similar experiences and have similar interests. Mm -hmm. And so it is usually the case that if you're similar in a lot of ways, you're similar in even more ways than you know. So your social networks and your um, your colleagues probably share, if not your choice on a political candidate, they probably share your opinions on a lot of political issues. And political issues are sometimes the key to helping people understand why your candidate is important. And so, you know, this digital moment in time while we're all stuck at home is a good time to, without offending people or being too heavy-handed, but to reach out and have some discussions about why it's important to share opinions and why it's important to vote and why it's important perhaps for your friends to consider the candidate that you care about. That's great. You're uh, a professor at USC. We were talking before um, the interview about some of the work you all have been doing to prepare students uh, for a online, you know, virtual learning environment. And you're also a mother with uh, kids at home now, too. You know, what insights do you have for how people who are at home trying to help their kids homeschool and, and use these platforms, you know, do you have any advice or tips for them that might make them feel uh, supported in this moment? Well, I'll tell you a couple of things. One is that no matter what we do, being online is never going to be as good as being in person. Mm -hmm. And I mean, you know, there are people who might disagree with me, but let me just tell you that like people by our very nature are hardwired to be connected and to be together with people. And um, so this is going to be very hard and the longer it goes on, the harder it'll be. Mm -hmm. So we have to keep that in mind. Can I tell you the funniest thing is that we did classes before it got really bad. USC decided to do classes online to test the system and see, you know, like basically try to debug it before we have to do it full time. And um, so my students were all, 
you know, we were using Zoom for this one, mm-hmm. but, you know, I can see all of the ones that engage the camera rather than just the voice. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> to try to engage them, I was joking around because they can all see each other. And I was saying things like, hey, so-and-so, who's in the room with you? Because you could see people walking around and it's like, oh, my mom is cooking me lunch. Or, you know, like one of the football, one of the football players had two of his buddies in the room who are thinking about taking my class next year. Uh-huh. So I was like asking questions. One person covered her screen and I, or her camera. And I said, what do you, hey, Malia, what are you doing? And she's like, oh, sorry, I was going to say goodbye to my mom. And I said, well, maybe we all want to say goodbye to your mom. <laughs> so we all did, you know. But the funniest one is that I said to this one girl, I said, um, hey, who's there visiting you? And then she's like, oh, and she didn't realize that her camera was actually showing this guy. <gasps> and when when she moved aside, it was she was like, that's my boyfriend. He was under the covers in her bed. Oh, <laughs> my gosh. Yeah. Well, that's, um, you know, multitasking, I guess. <laughs> <laughs> and I was thinking of like, I don't think it's a privacy violation because she chose the angle of her camera. But the students afterwards said that they enjoyed the kind of personal shout outs and that made it fun and funny. But that even with that, it's just there's nothing through all of their classes for a week being done online. They said that it just isn't as good as being, it isn't as good and isn't as engaging. And they do not learn as much. They said that retaining the information is very hard when Mm -hmm. you're not sitting in a classroom being a part of that experience physically. The people who do homeschooling, have their own system for doing homeschooling, which I, you know, not my area of expertise. But for most of us, we've chosen not to be a part of that world. We've chosen to be a part of the world where we get together. Mm-hmm. And, you know, it's going to be interesting and difficult for most of us to learn how to be so much more isolated, just home with our own families, interacting only through digital media. And, you know, we have to remember for our own kids, for ourselves, and especially for the people more isolated in smaller families or living alone, that we're now in a situation where people are going to be feeling very lonely, sort of, you know, potentially bored, very isolated. And you have to take care of each other and be aware of people's emotional well-being, because this could be a really big problem for people who are vulnerable to things like depression mm-hmm. and, you know, dis- distress that comes around uh, along with isolation. That's a great point. Well, we'll take care of each other and uh, we'll keep walking walking through this and learn every step of the way. Thank you so much for the, for the great tips and re- reminders to look out for each other. <laughs> well, thanks for having me. I, you know, appreciate the good that you guys are doing in the world. here to talk to us about how we're organizing uh, during these trying times is Marisa Kanoff, Swing Left's National Field Director. Marisa, thanks for calling in. Uh, thanks, Steve. Thanks, Mariah. Happy to, happy to be here today. So I know you're really busy. There's um, some pivoting and a little bit of reorganizing how we're looking at voter contact um, and organizing our groups. Uh, What's Swing Left doing right now uh, that's kind of changing the way we organize our groups in this moment? Yeah. I mean, I think, you know, the first thing is, is we're just checking in on everybody, right? Um, that, I mean, I wouldn't say that's a change from how we normally operate, but, uh, you know, we, we are just checking in on people and making sure that, that everyone's kind of feeling okay. And we're also making sure that people know there's, um, 
there's no pressure to keep up their current event schedules, and there's certainly no harm in, in canceling things if people do want to take a break. What's been really kind of inspiring to me is that even in this age of social distancing, so many of our groups are like, well, I still want to do stuff. Mm-hmm. I can't just sit back and do nothing. I, I like still have to be involved. So how can I be involved? So um, my team is seriously working right now to get a lot of um, virtual events online. Mm-hmm. So, you know, the great thing about Swing Left events is, you know, almost all of them are physical and in person and, you know, either in someone's apartment or a, or a coffee shop or um you know, a library room or community center. And we're working on kind of rolling out virtual versions of some of our most popular events. So our letter writing work that we do with Vote Forward, and we are making a pivot to phone banking sooner than we uh, were anticipating. So those are some of the things that we're working on right now. That's so great. I think this is going to be a moment in time where we have an opportunity to be innovative and come up with really creative ways to reach voters. It's just going to take a little bit of time, right? Yeah. I mean, I think I think what's what's great about Swing Left and, you know, kind of almost serendipitous about our our work with Vote Forward is people can still write these letters to voters and they can still bank these letters to voters. Mm. And they can still wait to send them, right? So, you know, the CDC was saying that people should avoid large groups for eight weeks. Um, So we might be in the thick of this for for a little while. But, you know, people can still write these letters um, over the next eight weeks and still be making an impact. And then once this uh, hopefully blows over and and hopefully we return to more of a sense of normalcy, we can get back to some of those more um, traditional methods of voter contact. Yeah. It's gonna be uh, it's gonna be a while, I think, um, and uh, it's just fascinating to me. I guess I guess like the bonus is you know we spend so much time telling people how important it is to uh, get out of your comfort zone and go out and knock on doors and talk to strangers face to face contact face to case contact the most effective. <laughs> so. The good news is if you're really scared to do that, you're off the hook at least for a little while, right? <laughs> yeah, I think I think that's one way you can look at it. You're you're off the hook at least for a little while. Um, you know, we'll uh in the coming weeks we'll also probably start rolling out some more uh some more trainings. You know, our our leaders are used to chatting with us once a month on our on our national uh volunteer leader calls. But I can imagine a world where we start uh rolling out some more trainings and so I think it it's going to allow us some time to, to, like you said, Mariah, get creative and, you know, get people uh, used to the idea of getting out of their comfort zones without actually getting out of their comfort zones right now. So I think there's still a lot of, of community building we can do, even in kind of a virtual social distancing environment. Mm-hmm. Speaking of community building, um, one thing that's been great to see is uh, people really checking in on each other. Um, and that can take the form of, you know, checking in on family, neighbors. I've seen a lot of people on my Facebook feed saying, hey, I'm a little bit lonely. Will someone FaceTime with me? <laughs> <laughs> Just about whatever. Um, this is an That op- was me, by the way. <laughs> this is an opportunity, though, to, you know— Start having conver- once you once you know people are safe and not scared to have conversations with them about staying engaged in our in our democracy. Any advice for you know how we can talk to friends and family casually but effectively about this stuff? Yeah, I mean, I think I think once 
once we all check in on people and make sure that uh, that folks are okay, you know, I think you can just kind of casually start that. Well, you know, what are what are you doing now that you're spending a lot more time indoors, um, or you know that now that your you know weekly softball game has been canceled, um, or you know now that you don't even have your commute anymore. Yeah. You know, so many people who used to spend thirty minutes, sixty minutes, ninety minutes commuting to work um, now get that time in their day back, which is super exciting. And and you know, hopefully, folks are using that to spend a little more time with their family. Or you know, I heard one suggestion that said that said uh, you know if you Maybe you should switch the time you used to use to commute to start meditating. Um, mm. I actually thought that was that was really interesting. But um, you know, I think you can just kind of start start that conversation. Like, you know, what are you 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 have this you know more time in your day? Like, how are you using it? And depending on what people say, you can be like, you know, one thing that that I've been doing um, to make sure that I, I still stay stay engaged in this election is, um, you know, I've been looking to swing left to see what some of their guidance is, because mm-hmm. um, you know we're going to be really leaning leaning and hard into our into our turnout letters, and I believe we're still going to be doing some experimental letter writing through Vote Forward Labs. You know, we are going to have some phone banking available for for folks who. Um, feel totally fine and really want to get back into it. The Wisconsin primary is April 7th and there's a really, really key race for a state Supreme court seat. Mm-hmm. So we're working with our friends over there to, to get a phone banking campaign set up uh, really, really key race. If folks want to get involved in that. And, you know, I think a lot of campaigns and state parties are still figuring out their next steps with in-person voter contact canceled. So we hope to be rolling stuff out down the line as, as our, you know, friends and partners also figure out what they need to do next. Yeah, it's a great point. Uh, there's a lot of stuff coming up that we can get involved with, not just planning for November 3rd, but uh, we had Jared, our organizer there in Wisconsin, on last week talking about that election and mm-hmm. what we're doing in Wisconsin and out here in California. We have a special election uh, coming up in May in CA25, and there's there's lots of opportunities for people to keep those muscles limber while hanging out and also enjoying the offerings of streaming media. <laughs> Absolutely. And I think there's I think there's also just like very little things that kind of everybody can do, right? Like now is a great time to, you know, go online and check your voter registration. Mm-hmm. Make sure your voter registration is up to date at your current address. Um, almost, almost all states, not all, but almost all offer some ability for you to update your voter registration online if you need to. Another great thing that folks can do, particularly in this age of COVID, is, uh, you know, people are talking a lot more about voting by mail, yeah. right? Which, yes. again, not not all states offer, but a lot do. Uh, you know, this would be a great time if, if you live in a state that offers no excuse absentee voting by mail, which, which just means you don't need to fall into some special category to be able to do it. Um, you know, it's probably not a bad idea to, to become a vote-by-mail voter for this election, if not permanently. Um, as someone who used to vote by mail when I lived in California, I love it. It's amazing. <laughs> it's so convenient. Yeah. And, you know, that way you won't, you know, we don't know what the state of the world is going to be in the fall, but you can kind of preemptively set yourself up for success by making sure that you and, and people and your family and your friends are signing up to vote by mail if they have the option to do that. Yeah. I'll go out on a limb and say that I think it's a really, really good idea to go ahead and register to vote by mail if you have the ability to do that. And Great I, advice. I think we need at right now to talk about that every single week on our podcast, too. Absolutely. 
And if folks are wondering where to get started, you know, your your Secretary of State's website mm-hmm. is a great place to get started, or your your County Board of Elections should have the the information you need. Um, and like voter registration, you know, some states that offer absentee voting by mail, uh, you can sign up for it online. So it's another kind of very simple but tangible, effective step you can do to stay engaged. Great awesome. advice. Any parting words of hope that you're seeing from groups right now that that inspire you? Ooh, what a great question. I mean, mm-hmm. I think I think our groups, uh, they just always inspire me. You know, I, I sent out a note to um, almost a thousand of Swing Left's leaders last week before we kind of got into the thick of the weekend, just, you know, asking people to to stay safe and, um, you know, let them know that we were we were moving to a more virtual environment. Um, and I just got so many messages back about how, you know, people weren't going to give up the fight and they were still going to figure out a way to write letters. And, you know, people are asking us about, uh, you know, Swing Left National uses a lot of Zoom accounts to have webinars. People are asking if they can have access to those accounts so they can do virtual meetings with their own groups. So it's so inspiring that people are, are just still so engaged and so ready to roll and, um, you know, we're doing everything we can to to get those virtual tools available to them so they can still feel effective in these very strange times that we're living in. Yeah. Well, Marisa, I'm so happy that you are leading the charge here. Um, you're the most awesomest national field director ever. <laughs> Thanks for all you're doing. <laughs> um, thank you guys so much. It was great to talk to you both today. Talk to you soon. Bye-bye. Thank you for joining us today, and thank you for stepping up and taking action. This is how we win. We win when we all rest up, stay healthy, (laughs) and get involved when we're ready. (laughs) Right. We want to hear from you. Who would you like to hear on the show? What topics do you want to discuss? We know you have extra time to listen to podcasts right now, so we want to (laughs) fill that void. Let us know by emailing us at podcast at swingleft.org. Thank you to everyone who's subscribed, rated, reviewed. Thank you to our friends at Demcast. If you haven't yet, please do subscribe on Apple or wherever you're listening to this podcast. Share it on social media and use the hashtag HowWeWin2020. Help that algorithm out. Right. Check out our page. Even if you hate it. (laughs) At swingleft.org slash podcast. We really appreciate you being here. Hang in there. We'll bring you some more from the field next Wednesday. Stay at home. Stay safe. And uh, we'll talk to you then. (laughs) 